This podcast, number 856, with Jim Hewling, the author of a new book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. This is the second revised edition, and this is being brought to you by Tom Palladino. Tom is somebody who works with scalar light energy, and it fascinated me. And I wanted to make sure that my audiences knew about Tom Palladino and his work with scalar energy. Tom utilizes scalar energy to tap into the healing power of the energy of the foundational pillars of health. If you want to learn more about Scalar Light, that is his organization and its healing powers, please visit his website at www.scalarlight.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Jim Hewling about the new revised second edition version of The Four Disciplines of Execution, Achieving Your Wildly Important Goals. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, and if you haven't seen his video on LinkedIn, go to it. This guy lifts 290 pounds. Go like this, Jim, uh, above his head. It took him a, a while, he said, to get there. But you know what? He's focused. And Jim, I appreciate you. I appreciate the people at Franklin Covey. The way we came together was through Scott Miller, uh, another author for Covey. And I want to let my listeners know this is the second edition, not the first edition, which is why we're talking about it, of the four disciplines of execution. Um, This team that created this book, Chris McKenzie, Sean Covey, Jim Hewling, and we're here with Jim Hewling. um, They literally have deployed this in over 4,000 plus corporations now. It started back 2012. Is that correct? That's exactly and right. you guys have been working hard at this. And I'm going to let my listeners know just a little bit about you. Jim's the global managing consultant for the four disciplines of execution. And if you want it, it's 4DX for all my listeners. From now on, you'll see it referred to as 4DX. In his role, he's responsible for the four disciplines methodology, teaching methods, and the quality of delivery worldwide. He also regularly leads large-scale 4DX engagements, as well as serving as executive coach to a number of senior executives. Jim's career spans over four decades. He and I are both going to be 67 this year, so we're proud to say it. I'm not lifting as much weight as him, but I will be because now I have a goal. Um, Corporate leadership for Fortune 500 organizations to privately held, including as CEOs of companies recognized four times as one of the 25 best companies to work for in America. He holds degrees from the University of Alabama and Birmingham Southern College and serves on the boards of several local organizations, as well as Siegel Institute for Leadership, Ethics, and Character. Uh, I'm really proud to have him on. He's married. He's got a couple of kids, three grandkids, and he enjoys spending time with his wife, I will be married 43 years on June 30th. I know he says over 40 years. Mm-hmm. So, and he's a CrossFit enthusiast. Again, I'm going to put the link to your video showing him lifting the weight up there. Awesome. So, you know, it, that's a great analogy for this podcast, Jim, mm-hmm. is lifting weight mm-hmm. because goals, you know, if people say the word goals and it's almost like they kind of cringe, they're like, oh my gosh, the four, and then you got to discipline and you got to execute. And it's like, oh <laughs> no, I don't know if I really want to do that. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're in a corporation 
or you're an individual, there seems to be a stigma around goals. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this Beverly Walker, she was the commissioner of department of human resources uh, services for the state of Georgia wrote the foreword to your new edition of 40 X. And she says, if you're facing the hardest work, uh, right. (laughs) Which it is that you've ever had it, that you've ever had, you need this book. And I agree with her. Why in your estimation is strategy easy and execution so difficult within businesses, small businesses, large businesses, doesn't matter. Seems like execution's tough. What's going or, on? Or, uh, even in personal life, right? Yeah. It was such a great question. And do you mind if I just say starting off, man, thank you for letting me be with you today. Yours is one of the most highly regarded podcasts in our country, I think. And and uh, I was especially excited when I learned that you had opened up a slot for me to be able to chat today. So thank you, my friend. And it, I feel it's a very special privilege to be with you today. Um, you know, what you're talking about, though, is is why does everybody have such a reaction to goals? You know, we talk about goals and some people feel like that's oppressive and and all of a sudden they've got all this weight on them. And I'm always a little mystified by this because when we when we actually boil down what a goal is for most people, it's something you really want. Right. So it's it's a little bit of a paradox, isn't it, that the the idea of the the two or three things that you really want the most would feel such so heavy for you to have to achieve them. And I think it's because everybody struggles with execution. You you asked me a moment ago about the difference between strategy and execution. And and I, I always like to say, after all these years in business, uh, they're both important. Goodness, you know, without a strategy, you don't really know where you're going. And without a, the ability to execute, you'll never get there. So you, which, which of those do you want to leave behind? Neither one, right? Right. But I do think we have a conditioned response. And I say this with great kindness, Greg, that we have a conditioned response because we fail so often. You know, we, we've set goals all of our lives. Even when you, if you tell somebody that in January that you've got a New Year's resolution, you know, they all roll their eyes and say, I'll see you in February, you know. And, uh, and even in my gym in January, there are no lockers in my gym in January. By the middle of February, half the lockers are available again. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it, it's such a classic element of human behavior. And I think that's why people have a little stigma or a negative association with this idea of goals. And, and if you don't mind me adding one small thing to this answer, it might be a little too long, Is uh, but I'd like to say this because I think when Chris and Sean and I sat down even to write the first book 11 years ago, this is what we were thinking about. You know, all the people in the world and all the leaders in the world who need to accomplish something and and don't know how to do it. You know, they need some help. They've tried lots of ways. Lots of ways haven't worked. And so we came up with this package of these four ideas when taken together seemed to be like a recipe for uh, high performance and goal completion. I, I hope that's what comes across today to all your listeners. Well, you know, you, you touch on an important part, execution and strategy. It always seems easier to come up with the strategy, right? Because that's the fun sure. stuff. Um, and the execution part always seems like Oh, I'm going to the dentist to get a tooth pulled, you know, because I've got to do these things in steps to get there or goals or proximal goals. But the most important thing, and I think it is, and and you and I are aware of this, is are the goals aligned? In other words, when you say people don't get them, are they aligned with the purpose and the value that people have or that the company has? And, you know, in 2009, when your first edition of 40X was released, 
uh, your team had implemented a thousand businesses and about a thousand businesses. And you're now in over 4,500, is it? Or 4,000? Uh, okay. And if you, if you speak in the language of teams, it's about 300,000 teams all around the world uh, yeah. using this process in a formal way. Yeah. So that you have transformed the way they work. What have you learned and what is new in this edition from the first edition that came out? Because, you know, you you started with a thousand, you're now at over four thousand. Uh, you have all these teams that have done this. You certainly have learned a lot. Um, what's new? What is on the horizon? What do what do we need to know about? Not about so much. Um, I'd say kind of the process. What have you guys learned about the process? Yeah, it's a great, great question, man. It's it's no wonder this podcast is so highly rated because these you know there are no softballs in your in your podcast, are there? They're all that come straight. At me. So that's a that's a great question. In fact, several kind of things, real important ideas. I I like to try to speak to everything you just said, Greg. Help me help me pick them all off with uh, with good answers for each one. So number one, I, I'll start with this this idea. Why is this so hard? Let's let's just get that off the table for a minute. And and I think one of the reasons that it's hard is because everybody is incredibly busy. Uh, I don't know your life, uh, but I can imagine it. It's a lot like mine. Uh, I I have swirling around my head right now about twenty three things that need to get to, uh, need to happen today. And and sometimes I feel like I'm an air traffic controller, you know, in the tower, and I got all these planes flying. And uh, and the reality is that. If I try to land all those planes, I'm not going to make it. So some of them aren't even going to land. You know, some of them are going to crash into each other. I have all kinds of problems. So the, the key to making that different is really to be able to focus. You you said this beautifully when we started. Focus is really the key to everything. But what that means is identifying the few things that matter most and giving them a bigger portion of your energy and your attention. Right? Mm-hmm. Just as you were talking about whether that's exercise, whether you're raising a family, whether you're leading a team, no matter what, writing a book, no matter what you're doing, you've got to identify uh, out of those planes that are circling the one you want to land now. And it doesn't mean you take your attention off the other ones, but it does mean you give more of your attention to the one that you've said should get special treatment. It's the most important thing. Can I can I ask you a question about that? Because you said, yeah, let's sure. take this wherever we want to take it. Yes. You know, if there's 23 planes out there mm-hmm. um, and I and I uh, just had Jim Laura on here, you know, oh, yeah. uh, the, huge fan, I'm a huge, fan. huge fan. It's all about energy. But every one of those planes up there is using fuel. And they only have so much time before they have to land, (laughs) right? I mean, just to use your analogy, the reality is you don't want them sitting up there twirling around, twirling around. Um, In your estimation, how important is the energy management here? Oh, I think, first of all, I'm a huge fan of his. I've read all of his books all the way back to 25 years ago. He was on Oprah with the powerful engagement. I, yeah. uh, so a big, big acknowledgement to, for me to that. And I think he and we are talking really about the same thing. You know, if you if you think about the fact that the energy and the capacity of a human being is finite. I know yes. there are times that we like to think we're infinite. Right? But, but the truth is, at the end of the day, we've only got so much energy to give to anything. So if we take that amount of energy and let's say we spread it across a hundred things, you know, like a hundred things in our life, 
each get 1% of our energy. At the end of the day, we've given 100% of what we had. We're absolutely exhausted. Have we made a difference in any one of those 100 areas? Well, probably not. Because what we did was we took the energy we had and we spread it so thinly across so many things that every one of our focus areas got this little tiny investment, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a, and forgive me for saying this, I mean it in a kind way, but to be clear, that's a recipe for mediocrity. You know, you can, you can try to do a hundred things and you're really going to be decidedly average at all of them and probably not accomplish anything great. Mm -hmm. The key to what Jim teaches and what I believe we teach as well is preserve your energy, treat it like a precious resource and invest the most energy in the things that matter most, right? Invest Mm -hmm. the greatest amount of energy in the things that matter most. But if I hurry on to a conclusion, though, you know what mystifies me to this day? We struggle to know what matters most, right? When when I go into an organization to work with a, a leader or a group of leaders, sometimes, Greg, they'll say to me, hey, Jim, listen, you can skip discipline one. We're great with that. We're the most focused organization we know. And you know, Greg, usually I'll say, oh, awesome. You know, uh, what what are you focused on? And they say, oh, we've got 27 priority one goals. 27 <laughs> yeah. of them. We're the most focused group in the world. <laughs> and I have to find a polite way of saying, you actually just told me you're not really focused on anything because you're trying to focus on everything. So mm-hmm. what, what Jim teaches so well from the energy management standpoint I think we're teaching exactly the same principle in terms of the capacity of your team or just the capacity of yourself. If you've got goals you're trying to achieve as an individual, if you if you try to do too many things at the same time, you're probably going to achieve none of them. Mm-hmm. So what you learn from these groups after having 4,000 of them out there about you, them applying this, have they been able to consistently um, stay on track with the wildly important goals after you guys leave? Or do you find that the companies start to spread a bit and they go yeah, back to yeah, their old patterns in all ways because, hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits. You yeah. know, he's been on the show. This is all about new habits and behaviors that it people is. have to put in their life. Otherwise, it's like a broken record. It's just going to keep occurring. Have you been able to change those habits and behaviors of those individuals so they can go, okay, Jim, you said I had 100% energy. And, you know, there's the thing about the energy, too. We all have different amounts of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have greater amounts of energy than others. They'll say, wow, that guy's a wildfire. You know, he's out there doing whatever. So how do you get, what did you find about that? What actually yeah, occurred? A great question. You, you have a way of asking really tough questions, but you ask them in a really nice way. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great one because I, I would want to be very honest, very transparent with you, Greg, and say, you know, of across 4,500 companies, of course, there's a bell curve. Of course, yeah. some people are superior adopters. And of course, there are some people on the outer edges that aren't, you know, um, uh, there's no question about that. But I will tell you, we're incredibly proud that as we track it, we've got over 90 percent sustainability in the organizations that we work with. And, and keep, in, keep in mind that one of those organizations is as big as um, the largest hotel company in the world, where Marriott. we currently have 225,000 people doing 40X. 225,000, that's just one, right? And they've been going at it 11 consecutive years. 
so we have we have a lot of success with that and people being able to sustain. Is that kind but, of your is that kind of your big example? You talk about Marriott in there, but is do, that is that would you say of mm. all the years you've been doing this, Jim? You're my age, so you can get a little melancholic here and <laughs> look back on all the work. Um, would that be your best example of a success, or do you have any others? Well, I'm I sure my say, listeners would want to know who yeah. are the biggest successes yeah, yeah, yeah. and what. Um, what characteristics do the individuals and the management in the company have that actually allowed them to drop all these other things and focus on some singular projects, which were yeah, more important? Great question. It's a great question, Greg. I want to say three things. Let me see if I say them well. Number one, I'm in reverse order. The very last thing you said, I'd like to tweak that slightly if I might. We're not teaching people to focus on a few things and drop everything else. We're teaching them to be clear about priority one and priority two and okay. give less energy. But I, I would worry about somebody who said, well, in order to um, get my master's degree, I'm going to stop spending time with my kids. You know, we, it's not it's not the way we would want them to go about it. But we would say put your best energy into the thing that matters most. Leave all the rest of your energy to go into the things that are secondary. But Coming back to the heart of your question, um, certainly the Marriott Corporation is is an incredible, that's a proud partner. I mean, who wouldn't want to be partnered with the largest and probably best hospitality company in the world? I don't know uh, that we're very proud of that. But we have quite a group of organizations around the world who have been incredibly successful with 40X and who've stayed with it. One thing, though, I'd like to uh, offer you, I want to see how you react to this, Greg, is, you know, when it comes to saying most successful, Sometimes I would say most successful are those that have produced the greatest results, who've made the most money, who've grown their organizations, who've increased their market share. You know, their customers are incredibly happy. That would be an easy category. But then you talk about Beverly Walker, who you started our show with today, who yeah. has the outcome of reducing incidents of child mistreatment in the Georgia Department of Human Welfare, right? So even though those results can't be measured in the same way that profitability can, you and I would probably say that probably counts for more in the big game of life, doesn't it? Children, yeah. avoiding cases of children. Be so then even when we have organizations who used 4DX to accomplish a mission that was a charitable mission, or they, they took on a cause in the world and they used it to advance that cause, saying most successful we have to almost, you know, get categorical to say, well, in this category, this one, and in this category, this one. But isn't that interesting that 4DX finds a home in colleges and universities? We have thousands upon thousands of grammar schools who are using the four disciplines of execution. And you can drop into any one of these schools and the children have a wildly important goal and they know what their lead measures are. And their scoreboard is on the wall in their classroom. You know, talk about something that literally I just got chills up and down my arm giving you that example, uh, I know you, you share this idea with me that those count for just as much to me as the mega corporations who've dramatically increased their business results as well. Now, you know, we have a lot of listeners and I, and I want to be fair to them and uh, I don't expect you to do anything different, but at Franklin Covey, there's the 80-20 uh, that you can download. Are there things that you actually provide the listeners tools like you're talking about here oh, that yeah. they can access either for free or 
they can, I know you at the end, you want to actually have them sign up and go whatever. And they're going to get the book, right? Because they're going to go buy the book. And then <laughs> after so. they get the book, they're going to be driven to a website. Mm-hmm. But is there one particular place they can go for resources? Oh, yeah. Great question. And let's let's try to make sure everybody, even if they're driving or eating a sandwich, Greg, we got uh, all your listeners. Well, we'll, have, we'll have links in the blog to all this. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so they go to Frank and Covey? Well, the best place to go at the moment is 4DX Book. So that's 4DavidXRayBook, B-O-O-K.com. Okay. On that website are, are all the newest, recently updated uh, information from the publication of the second edition. And loads of things are there. Downloadable documents, videos of case studies. You want to hear some of these companies saying in their own words what 4DX has meant to them. All of that resource is on the 4dxbook.com. That's where we'll send everybody. We'll put them there. That's a great place. And and I wanted to make certain that they got the opportunity to get Mm -hmm. there. Now, going back to my questions, you state that when you execute, we were just talking about this strategy that requires lasting Mm -hmm. change in behaviors, which is what I just said about BJ (laughs) Fogg, of other people that you're facing one of the greatest leadership challenges you've ever met. Mm-hmm. Yay to that. I'm, you know, yes, sir. Um, yes, what sir. are the four disciplines and why have they worked so well over the years mm-hmm. uh, in these organizations in your estimation? Cause mm-hmm. look, you're changing behaviors of people. Yeah. In fact, I, I think I'm going to watch you smile as I ask you this, but could, you and I can agree really fast that changing human behavior is hard, isn't it? I mean, just changing our own behavior, Greg, you know, my my New Year's resolutions, whatever, changing my own behavior is hard. But if I'm a leader in a team, I'm responsible for changing the behavior of a lot of people if I want different results. So that's not easy at all. And that's really- Well, you know, we're responsible for seeding what might emotionally trigger something to change a behavior we're actually not responsible, pardon me, for changing the behavior because it's like the guru in the mirror. You can have a guru, but there's only one guru that you can look back to, and that's right. you, that's right? right? So I say yes to that, and it's matter of semantics, but it's actually a very big part because they have to want to change. They do. They do. And and to that very point, I don't know if you've hit this chapter in the book, we offer leaders a way of kind of assessing the magnitude of that challenge. And, and it's very simple. I'll just lay it out in, in just a few seconds D- to basically assess the people on your team in terms of their willingness to adopt a new behavior, to, to, in other words, their willingness to change. And, and Greg, we, we found that for ease of dialogue, there are really three categories. Almost everybody falls into one of these three categories. The first category, you have people that we call your models. And uh, these are the people who are just marvelous. You know, every day of your life as a leader, you're so glad these people work in your team. And, and if you could genetically clone them, you know, you'd want five copies of them. They're just great people. And you're, you're always grateful to have them. That's on the, on the one side of this is called the models. Mm-hmm. On the opposite end, we have mm-hmm. a category, and I don't know if you'll laugh at this or not, Greg. We call this the nevers. <laughs> yeah, I'm These already are, laughing. Because you've, you've read this, right? These are the people who are never going to do anything different. They're going to resist you in every way they can. They're going to hide. They're going to they're going to be out on the day of the company meeting. They're going to do everything they can to resist the change. Okay, so models on one side, nevers on the other side, and right in the middle is usually the biggest group of all, 
And that's the group we call the not yet, the potentials, in other words. And, and so the belief of our book is you should treasure your models, but your potentials, your not yet, that's where your energy should go. Because if you can get those people excited about what they're doing, if you can give them a clear vision of why it matters, if you can set up the mechanics so that it, it feels it gets their competitive juices going, you can turn that middle group into more models for you. And at the yeah. end of the day, the more models you have, the more things you can get done. You know, the more people who are willing to do what's required, uh, the more things you can actually end up getting done. So that, that is helpful a little bit, isn't it? To think of, if I've got 20 people on my team, what three categories does each person mm-hmm. fall into? Definitely. And then what are, if, you know, what are those four disciplines? Yeah, I think yeah, we've, yeah. we've talked about it. We've right. skirted around it. We really haven't gotten <laughs> to them. And I am going to recommend to you before you go into those four disciplines. I just recently interviewed a young lady by the name of April Rennie. I'm going to put the two of you together. The new yeah. book that's coming out is called Flux, the eight superpowers for thriving and constant change. And like let me tell you, she hit it on the nail because our world with COVID and everything that's going on is in a constant state of flux and people who resist change are not going to make it. The reality is we're in constant change right now. So those four disciplines that you want to articulate to my audience, they know by the time we finish this interview, they at least know what the four disciplines are. (laughs) That's right. And they're so easy. You know, nobody's going to struggle with them. I'll start off, though, by picking up where you left off and then take you right to discipline one. You know, Dr. Covey in our organization taught all of us a really simple um, uh, point of view. He said, if you want to achieve a goal you've never achieved before, you simply must be willing to do things you've never done before. Now, mm-hmm. that's the same thing your other author said, but just in a little bit different language. Same idea. You know, if we want greater results, we've got to become different people. And we've got to be willing to do different things. Well, the four disciplines are a set of practices whose effect is to get people to passionately adopt new behaviors. That's really what our book is all about. So now for everybody who's driving your car or listening, four simple things, really easy to capture. Discipline number one is all about focus. And we've actually talked about it already. So in other words, discipline one says focus on what's wildly important. I I always kind of cringe a little bit. I think maybe that's a little gimmicky name for something. But Greg, you know, everything everybody's working on, they call important. So we had to have a name that was more than important, you know. So well, it's way so better than it's it. way better than BHAG, Jim. So yes, it is better. Big, oh, no, hairy, audacious that goal. That one's oh, been around God. for a hundred years. Forever, right, Jim Collins, and uh, and aren't we grateful? Jim Collins gave us that too. Man, he's yeah. he's amazing. But for yeah. us, discipline one, in other words, is to separate out the one goal that matters most right now that you want to give your best energy to. And leave all the other goals in a kind of second tier, like they're they're circling the airport. You're going to land them when you can, but you're going to give incredibly high focus to this one thing that matters most. Now, Greg, remember, that can be on a personal level. That can be I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to lose some weight as a team. That can be we're going to finish this project as a company. That can be we're going to increase our customer experience by 20 points, whatever it may be. Narrow your focus down to one kind of breakthrough result, and you've got discipline one. Discipline two is interesting to most people 
because discipline two is now to say, how am I going to do that? And mm -hmm. we introduced this concept of a leading measure. It's just a little tiny bit of vocabulary. I'll say it real easily. The measurement of a goal is usually a lagging measure. If you think about any goal you've ever been striving for, by the time you got the number, it was history. It was you were looking backwards. In other words, if you if you're if you have a weight loss goal, when you step on the scale, that's a reflection of last week's uh, activity and, and nutrition. Right. It's always in hindsight. So discipline two is about identifying the leading measures that move the goal. Now, that might mm -hmm. sound a little technical. I don't mean for it to. Here's the idea that's so simple. Whenever you've chosen a goal. You need to find the one or two actions or behaviors that have the biggest impact on achieving that goal. Mm -hmm. so instead of doing everything you can think of, instead of trying a hundred things, you find the few things that actually give you leverage. That when you do them, they move the goal. They take you towards the goal, whatever those are. And you give those two things real energy. Like if you if you had a goal of losing weight, you'd put a lot of energy into nutrition and exercise, but you wouldn't worry about the 12 other things necessarily. You put most of your energy into the thing that gave you the greatest results. So that's discipline mm -hmm. two. Discipline two is about leverage. What can I do that moves the number? Discipline three is the easiest one to understand. And I don't know if you can if everybody will be able to see my face, but it's my favorite of the four disciplines. This is my favorite. Discipline three is the discipline of engagement. And it it basically revolves around the idea that how we keep score really matters. So, for example, Greg, if you're leading a team at work and you mm -hmm. want them to think of the achievement of a goal like a game that they can win, you enable that team to create a compelling scoreboard, a scoreboard that every time they look at it, they get excited. They, you know, they want to win on that board, a, a board that feels like it belongs to them. If you're pursuing a personal goal, maybe it's as simple as a, a chart on your refrigerator door where you're marking off the days or the times that you did something or your 10,000 steps or whatever, whatever you may be doing. But this is really a part of brain science that people don't realize the way you keep score directly affects your desire to play. It's a very untapped part of goal achievement for most people. So discipline three is about keeping a compelling scoreboard, a scoreboard that makes you want to win. And then mm -hmm. last of all is discipline four, which is the discipline of accountability. And, and Greg, I always have to pause here just for a minute. So, you know, you say accountability and everybody sort of goes, oh, great. Accountability is not my favorite thing, you know, because we, we have this sort of negative idea like if your boss called you today and said, hey, Greg, come over in 10 minutes. We're going to have an accountability meeting. You wouldn't say, yes, I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah, <laughs> Most yeah. of us would be like, what have I done wrong or what have <laughs> I been caught doing wrong? Right? Uh, but, but really, amazingly, accountability is like a superpower. Accountability is a, is a force in human behavior that makes you want to be better than you are. So yeah. in, in the four disciplines, what we do is we make accountability really personal. In other words, if, if you're leading a team at work, everybody on that team every week says to each other, here's what I commit to do next week. And when we get together one week from today, we all report out verbally whether we did what we said we were going to do. It's very personal feeling. And the same thing if you're doing a personal goal, 
you need that same thing. You know, like, like if I was pursuing a goal to run a marathon, I would need you to let me call you every Friday morning and tell you whether I got my miles in this week or not. And, right. and Monday through Thursday, I know I got to call you on Friday and I don't want to call you and say, Hey, Greg, I didn't do it. I didn't make my goal. I want to, I want to do it. So that, see how that personal element drives our accountability, whether it's as an individual or whether it's in a team of people uh, in the office. So those four things, focus, well, leverage, say, engagement, accountability. And I always say accountability, the last one, leads to autonomy. And, you know, the reality is that the greater the amount of, of accountability that you have to yourself yeah. and others, yeah. the greater freedom you have. That's right. That's right? A because I think pe- people actually think that accountability is confining the reality is accountability is freeing it's it does it is what creates the autonomy now you guys had a colleague jim stewart and i based on what i saw i assume jim is no longer with us is that correct with us yeah with us in spirit but not in person yeah okay but he kind of (laughs) helped launch all this right he did and he said to achieve a goal you have never achieved before, you must start doing things that you've never done before. Now, there's the one you just said from Dr. Covey. Yeah. If that requires people to do something different, you are driving at a breakthrough strategy and it's not going to be easy. Why is it so difficult to get people to adopt new behaviors? And what are the three categories that people fall into during breakthroughs? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, the the uh, two things are, are easy and one thing is more difficult. Let me say the two easy ones first. So okay. number one, um, getting anybody to do anything different, including you and me, <laughs> is not easy. So if you're if you're driving a strategy that requires people to change, you've got an extra challenge. Now, now let me just contrast that real fast for your listeners to let's take something that's easy. So if you're trying to drive a strategy that is something we would call stroke of the pen, like uh, we're going to move to a new office building where we have more space and we have a, a, a cafe in the in the basement. You know, the, you just tell everybody we're moving and what date we're moving. It, it, you don't need to have a meeting and say, how do you feel about us moving? Or if you want to change the carpet or paint the walls or, or buy new copiers, these are all things that we call stroke of the pen. Now, they can be impactful. But they're not difficult to execute. You know, basically, you just say it's going to happen if if you have the budget and the authority, right, Greg? They, it's going to happen. <laughs> but what if you say to your your team, "I want us to create a customer experience that's twenty points higher than the one we we are giving our customers today. Right. I want everybody to be more supportive and consultative and kind and and willing to help. I want to." How do you get that done? Well, you don't, you can't send an email. You know, you can't say, hey, Greg, as of tomorrow morning, I'd like you to be 25% more empathetic with our customers. That's your goal. You you can't do it, right? So in other words, things that require this change in behavior, that's what's really, really difficult. And that's why we call those breakthrough results because they take your team to another level. By the time Mm -hmm. you've achieved them, you've become a different team. And in many cases, you've become a different person as you achieve them. Now, now I know, I know I said some good things, but did I, you feel like I answered your question. It was a really good one. You did because what you did is you discerned the differences between the two, the stroke of the pen and the breakthrough. And I think all my listeners needed to understand was 
one set's very easy. One step requires a lot more execution. Now, you state in the book that leaders will struggle to narrow the focus to get to the to the wig. Okay, wildly important goal. Right. And I have all this new language now. I have 4DX and I have WIG and I have all that. So it's all these acronyms. Um, yeah. How do you help leaders get that granular focus that you have some simple guidelines that you can articulate for them yeah. or for our listeners as well as the focus traps? Yeah, you I call them that. the focus traps in the book. We do. So, we do. Okay. I would love to answer this. So great. Yes, you're just hitting you're hitting the greatest hits of 4DX. You <laughs> you have you have really done your homework, my friend. And uh, it's wonderful to answer these questions for you. So so let, let me give you a couple of the traps and that's a way of illustrating what you can do on the positive side as well. And I'll be real quick with this, uh, but you let me know if I you want me to slow down anywhere. So so one trap is trying to achieve everything at once. Leaders are really reluctant to say this matters more than this. And if you think about that in a company, it can be tricky, right? What if the thing I think matters most doesn't match what my boss thinks matters most? Right. Or what if what I think matters most, um, my team doesn't agree and they, they really won't engage around them? It's all kinds of complexity. So most leaders just opt out by saying, well, let's just keep all 10 of them. Let's try to hit them all. You know? And then we're right back where we started in this conversation today. We're not really focusing on anything. A second thing is that leaders, and I don't know why this is, Greg, maybe you'll have some insight on this, are naturally drawn to goals that are aspirational, but not measurable. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I had a client a few years ago who tried to set a goal to say, um, we will be the preferred supplier of our products to every corporation in the world. How will you ever know if you got to that goal, right? It's not, it's aspirational, but it's not measurable. So 4DX is pragmatic in saying, if you can't measure it, you can't drive performance against it. I'm not trying to say that the only things that matter are things that can be measured. That's not really true. You can't measure love and lots of other things that matter a lot. But I am saying, if you want to take a team to another level, You can't do that without some outcome that's objectively measurable. So that's the second trap is sort of falling into this philosophy. And then if they take if they take that aspiration and they put a time frame on it, though, I mean, I think you use this example in the book. John Kennedy said we're going to put a man on the moon within the next I forget what it was. Right. Does does that count for aspirational as well as uh, (laughs) definable so that, you know, we could reach that goal? Well, it's a great question. I know you you know this answer. That's why you're asking me. Uh, (laughs) The ability to put a time frame on it is one of three criteria you need for true measurability. Let's say this out loud so your listeners have got it. Uh, So number one is to say by when. When will you do that? But the other part is to say, we will go from X, which is where we are today, to Y, which is where we want to be tomorrow, by this date, right? Mm -hmm. And in a sense, that's what President Kennedy did. You know, he said, we'll put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Uh, I always want people to keep in there the part that says, and bring him safely back to Earth. That was was probably a real important part of that goal. (laughs) We put a man on the moon, bring him back to the Earth. By the end of the decade, you can sort of hear X to Y by when. That's our formula for that's a kind of goal that people can rally around and you can sustain performance around. If you can't measure those things, you may have a great start, but people will lose interest pretty fast because 
it's like playing a football game with no scoreboard. There's no lights on the scoreboard. You know, you don't know where we are. You don't know who's winning. You don't know how many points we've scored. You, you just lose interest after a while. Right. Does that make sense the way I said it? Oh, no, it, it does. It definitely does. And I think, you know, those focus traps um, did what I, I don't remember you covering the focus traps. So tell me what those yeah, focus yeah. traps so, are. So one trap are you saying call. that it's the time and it's the di- and it's the measurement? Those are the well, traps. There's three. There's three, and I like you pushing okay. back. Let's make them really clear. One trap is to call everything the most important thing. Okay. So everything is priority one. That's a trap. Leaders are in that all the time. Uh, a second trap is to choose things that are aspirational but can never be measured. Okay. And you'll never know whether you got there or not. That's clear. Another trap is a trap of ownership. You you choose a goal that you really can't that depends on factors you can't control. Like let's use a silly example. If your if your goal was to grow more corn and growing more corn depends on rainfall, then you've just accepted a goal that that you have a dependency that may be out of your control. So in other okay. words, you can't really take ownership of that goal. So so that's a trap taking on goals that you can't have true ownership of. And then last of all, and it's the one we've sort of hit several, thanks to your great questions, we've hit several ways. If you have a goal that's uh, that's important, but no accountability person to person for driving it, then you sort of assume everybody's working on it, you know, because you told them to, or you said it was important. But if you don't have that rhythm of accountability, Okay. The trap is you'll you'll think we're working and we're really not. We'll come up at the end of the year and say, well, it just didn't work again. And you guys call it the cadence of accountability. That's so right. creating a cadence that. of accountability can certainly be challenging. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the most challenging things in an organization. Your team's history with this is 75% commitment level. Right. That's, That's what right. you stated in the book. Right. What is it that creates such a successful commitment level and achievement of the wildly important goal. That's right. Uh, two things. And there, I tell you, that if I could put this in a bottle, I could sell it like a magic formula for results. <laughs> it, it's, it's that the commitments are personal and that the follow through is relentless. So, so let me just give you that fast example. Every team every week gets together for about 15 minutes and every person on the team says, hey, here's what I'll do next week. I, I got a new person on my team. I'll get them trained next week or or I'll meet with IT and solve this problem we're having next week or I'll change the inventory quantity so that we don't run out of supplies next week. I, here's what I will do next week. And we say that out loud to the people we work with. Right. Then we come back seven days later and we literally go around the circle again. And I say uh, I, last week I committed to get uh, Susan trained for the week and uh, and I got it done. Or, Greg, sometimes I say, and I, I didn't get it done. And in those moments where I say I didn't get it done, I want to promise you, you feel that. You feel like you just let your whole team down. But if you didn't have to say it out loud, you wouldn't feel the same thing. You might feel something, but it wouldn't be the same level. So right. then you have to say, I'll get that done this week for sure. And next week you get to come back and say, I did it. Well, now imagine that like a wheel that's turning every week. People committing and following through and committing and following through. Think of what happens to results. If that's a machine that's running every week, that's really what's given us this incredible success rate. 
Uh, we have one. We have uh, one client who has made over nine million commitments with a ninety-three percent follow-through rate. Now think about that just for a minute. Across twelve years, nine million personal commitments. Yeah, with a ninety-three percent follow-through rate. Wow. No wonder they've achieved extraordinary results. But in their eyes, it's just every person every week says, you just say what you'll do, and then you follow through every week. Down at the bottom, it looks incredibly simple to each person. That is the key to this, is keeping it simple. Keeping it simple. Now, in Chapter 7 of the book, you mentioned that execution uh, does not like complexity, just like I said, <laughs> simple. Uh, in fact, the two best – the two – uh, best friends of execution are simplicity and transparency. That's right. Um, and I and I love that because you know we're talking about something that when you peel away the outside uh, skin of the orange, you get a bunch of slices inside, right? Yeah. And the reality is is that now you have to say, well, there's 14 of them, and I got to go focus on. I got to eat one. Right. You know, I got to eat that one. Right. How can our listeners create simplicity and transparency mm -hmm. with their teams? Yeah. So as they're pulling away all the stuff and they see what's inside that they got to work totally. on, they're like going, oh, my God, there's just uh, so many things to work on. <laughs> I would say three things. First of all, have the courage to name one thing as being the most important thing at this moment. Have the courage to do that. And Greg, okay. anybody who's listening to us who thinks that that's easy, that's a pretty good sign you've never done it. It's easy to say 10 things are important. It's hard right. to say this one thing is the most important. So anchor that in for the next 90 days, for the next six months. This is our number one priority. If you just do that, you're off to a great start. That's the simplicity part. We, we've got one thing we're going to try to do at a superior level for the next six months while we manage everything else. But we're not going to try to be extraordinary over here. We're just going to be extraordinary on this one thing. Second, be transparent. So transparency would mean put up a scoreboard that's visible that everybody can see. Don't hide the score on the on the the uh, vice president's laptop where where only he can go or she can go in and see where we are. Put it out there publicly, because when you're winning, you'll give your team cause for celebration. And when you're losing, you'll give your team cause for accountability and determination to get back to winning. So be transparent with how you're doing. And then last of all, make it personal. So so in other words. So many of us in our jobs, you know, we end up working on things that we think matter, but but we don't really know why they matter. And we don't really feel personally connected. I'm I'm processing accounts payable claims. You know, OK, that's my job. Well, yeah, but isn't it also true that without accounts payable claims, we don't have any cash flow? And in about two or three days of no cash flow, we don't have a company. Isn't that <laughs> isn't what you're doing kind of like the beating heart of our financial ability to stay afloat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, And mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. You know, I'm not trying to be a philosophical leader. I'm just trying to say what you do in the accounts payable department may be way more important than you realize. So, so let me make that personal for you. Let me help you see how you fit into the larger picture and that what you do is really valuable. It's just as valuable as what a vice president does. It's just different, you know, those three things, if you implement those three concepts personally or with a team, 
you'll have a formula for incredible success. Well, you know, I'll relate this back to energy and cycling and bicycle and spokes. You know, I ride a bike and when you break one spoke on a bicycle, you really realize how difficult it is to ride it because it becomes wobbly. Wow. Right. So if if you look at the same concept and say, okay, we're all spokes in the wheel, but the spokes have to be tightened to make the wheel run smoothly. And you're part of one of those spokes. Love it. It's it's a a kind of a great analogy to say, hey, I mean, I don't know if you if if you've ridden a bicycle, but try and ride a bicycle with a broken spoke. Oh, I can't imagine. What you will find out. Is it, it not only that, if you even try and wrap it around the other spoke, before you get home, you'll see that the, the, the wheel is going like this, right? Mm-hmm. And you can imagine how much more difficult it is to not only ride your bike, but yeah. to keep straight on a course wow. when the wheel's doing that, right? So I tell everybody to kind of look at the spoke and the wheel concept. We're all doing a spoke activity. And the reality is it's keeping us on a straight and narrow path. <laughs> Man, I love that. I love that. And you could, you could, I mean, that's really a powerful metaphor. You could apply that to lots of things. And I'm, I'm thinking about the same idea. I don't, tell me if you agree with this, Greg. I, I've, I've 44 years in leadership now. I really believe this, that every human being I have ever encountered wants to feel like they're doing something that matters. Yeah. And and the only other thing I can say at this level is they also want to know if anybody cares. Is anybody noticing that I'm doing something important? You know, and and so do I doing work that matters? And does anybody care? Well, what you're talking about is if I feel like I'm not, if I feel like nobody notices, I'm just down here clocking in and out, then I become a weak spoke in that wheel. I may I may throw the whole wheel off. Right. Suppose I only do half the half, suppose I only do half my job today. Who cares? You know, it's just it's just accounts payable. Well, the person in accounts payable that they're paying 40, 50, 60 grand a year to, they wouldn't put that much energy and money into the job if they didn't believe it was important. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's accounts payable, accounts receivable. You used a good example, but it, it's a great example. Now you and I have covered lots of ground. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> this is this is the book. You know, everybody go get this book on Amazon. We'll have the link. Go to 4dxbook.com for all of your free downloads and tools and everything else that you want to get. Uh, Again, this is the second edition. It isn't the first edition. That doesn't mean you couldn't buy the first edition on Amazon too, but we'll have a link to the second edition. Um, The second thing is is 4dxbook.com, which will be there. Now, we've covered all this ground and only touched what I could say on, we haven't touched, I mean, when you read this book, it's like, there's a lot more you and I could talk about, but we don't have all day today. If you would leave our listeners with any advice about using 4DX, if I was to ask you, what is the wildly important message, Jim, that you would like, message, not goal, message that you'd like the people to hear? What would that be? How would you yeah. wrap a ribbon around this wow. and say, wow. there's a bow here yes, and sir. you're going to benefit from this? Yeah, no pressure in this question, is there? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really, uh, if uh, I think it's a great question. And in order to answer it well, I'm not going to answer it from my mind. I'm going to answer it from my heart. That's right. It, it would be just to say, Greg, that I have been to 23 countries in the last 12 years. I've observed people all over the world. And 
I come away from that experience realizing that most people have no sense at all that they're winning at something that matters. Their job is just a job. And they they wait until they leave the job and do something else, play tennis, whatever they do, to have some feeling like they're winning. But all the time they're at work, they mostly just think they're going through the motions. They have to get a task completed, right? So to me, the great gift of this book is not its ability to produce extraordinary results. That is a great part of it, but it's not the greatest. The greatest outcome of these four ideas is to give human beings this new identity that they're actually winners. <laughs> they matter. What they do is important, that their performance is appreciated, that you know they're part of something that's making a difference. You can give a human being that feeling for the 50, 60 hours a week they spend in their jobs. You will transform their lives. And beyond that, you'll create your results. But the results will be a byproduct of having lifted every human being to a new level. And, and if you don't mind me finishing this way, they'll take that new level of self-awareness, their new identity, and they'll carry that into their classes they're taking at night. They'll carry it into their parenting. They'll carry it into their communities, to their friendships. In other words, that different level of person will walk differently and talk differently and think differently and will do their part to bring that kind of excellence everywhere they go. I mean, I know I sound big picture, but it, it is, for me, a, a way that has the potential to change the world. That's the well, big thing. And, and everything is, you know, my, my show covers spirituality. Yes, sir. And beyond us, everyone is longing inside. Man's search for meaning. Yes. Uh, Viktor Frankl goes back to, you know, if you're allowing somebody outside of yourself mm-hmm. to get you down, you're the only one that has the ability to lift yourself back up again. No one else is responsible for that. So at its core, this book is about giving the people the tools to continually keep themselves lifted spiritually, emotionally, physically, right? right. right. To do a job that they recognize has significance importance as one of those folks in the wheel, and they should be proud of it, right? Right. And I think, you know, we, we frequently, you know, you know that, that, that old saying, pride goeth before the fall. The reality <laughs> is, I think you need to be proud of what it is that you do. You know, I had one gentleman on here the other day, and he's it was doing a sales uh, thing, and it's called the mindset of a sales warrior. Hmm. And he said, he asked a question, and he said, do most salespeople ever ask this? Would you recommend yourself? <laughs> Right. And, you know, you think about it. It's a great question. Right. It's like, hey, well, you you ask other people for recommendations. Would you recommend you? Do you think enough of yourself to recommend you as the best salesperson? Right. And I think the most important thing is here. Would you recommend yourself to execute, execute competently on the tasks at hand here. That's and I would say, help? I'll raise up my hand and I'll say, yes, I would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> and uh, blessings to you, my friend, Thank and the you, whole sir. team at Covey and uh, Chris Thank and Sean and mm-hmm. Beverly and Scott and all the people that have had a, a, a play in this because this has been a good, long opportunity for you. And mm-hmm. it's very, very rewarding to see what mm-hmm. you guys are doing. 
And I just want to give kudos out to um, you, most importantly, uh, to Scott Miller, uh, to the Covey team uh, for giving you guys the bandwidth to keep doing this. Uh, there's always challenges uh, with, always. with inside companies, but the reality is you guys have seen it through. So Jim Hewling, uh, thank you so much for being on Inside yes, Personal Growth and sharing uh, what was a very dynamic, interesting conversation about 4DX. Thank you, my friend. I'm incredibly honored to be here. And do you mind if I just say I feel the same about you, Greg? You're you're like a light, you know, lifting up all this knowledge and insight and wisdom. You're pouring it out to everybody. You're doing your own part to change the world as well. So congratulations to you. And and it was a privilege to talk to you today. And I hope I hope I get another chance. I'd love to have a second or a third conversation. I think we still have a lot oh, to I say. Do. I love those words between your lips and God. So <laughs> <laughs> 